Thanks, Timothy. Welcome again to all of you who are worshiping with us this morning. My name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. And I do hope those of you who are new or our recent guests participating participating with us will connect uh, more deeply into the life of our community. Uh, Please fill out a digital connect card. Email us. We really would like to get to know you more. Let me just highlight again real quickly our summer huddles that Timothy just prayed for. This really is our attempt to cultivate relational depth and spiritual formation in a mindful and safe way. Uh, these will be same-sex groups of three to four people meeting outdoors, uh, adhering to guidelines. I really do encourage you to sign up if you're comfortable. You can do, do that on our uh, website or on our church app. Uh, but again, I'm glad you're with us, all of you, this morning. We've been in the Psalms here on Sunday mornings, preaching our way uh, in, through the Psalms, and we will remain in the Psalms through the month of June. Uh, the Psalms are prayers and songs that God gives us to shape and mold us. They lead us to be honest about our human experience and then lead us into the promises and the presence of God who is with us. We're going to look this morning at Psalm 27. It is a psalm dealing with fear. And so if you're able, I'm going to ask you again to stand as we give attention uh, to God's word this morning. This is Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The prophet Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Pray with me. Lord, I... Come now and I ask that you would speak to us, that in this moment we would experience your voice, your presence, that you would become our light, our salvation, our stronghold, that we could come honestly before you and that you would draw near and draw us near to you. Pray that you would remove me, the preacher, so that Christ and Christ alone is heard and exalted, so that you alone are experienced. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, one of my favorite movies growing up was The Karate Kid. I started taking karate when I was seven years old because of Daniel LaRusso. Daniel LaRusso is a high school kid who gets picked on and beat up by Johnny and his buddies. All of this group trains in karate at the Cobra Kai Dojo. Well, Daniel, getting tired of being beat up and picked on, begins to think about how to defend himself and fight back. And one day he comes across the Cobra Kai Dojo and he peeks in. Daniel peeking into the dojo sees Johnny and all of his friends and fear rushes over him. And then he hears the sensei shout out to the group, fear does not exist in this dojo, does it? And they all respond in unison, no sensei. Fear does not exist in this dojo, does it? No sensei. The sensei was driving home a point. It's a point that most of us have been taught our whole lives. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear has no place in our lives. That if we do fear, something is wrong and it needs to be corrected. Perhaps you grew up in the church around Christianity and you've been taught that Christians should have no fear. Maybe you've heard this psalm, Psalm 27, used as a way to say fear does not exist in the Christian life, does it? And if we really trust God, our response should be in unison, no, it doesn't. But this type of teaching is extremely harmful. This morning, I want us to look at Psalm 27, and I want us to see that fear is real. Fear is a gift. And lastly, facing our fear. So let's look first at fear is real. Much of this psalm, David is confessing fear. He's not pretending like he has no fear. Most scholars think that David wrote this psalm after the time that King Saul, being full of jealousy towards David, gathers his army to pursue David toward death. And as a result, David fled to En Gedi, hiding in the mountains and caves of En Gedi, while Saul and his army sought to kill him. And David writes here in Psalm 27, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, though an army encamp against me. Do you, I mean, do you think that David had fear when Saul and his army was trying to kill him? You better believe he did. I, I love Dan Allender's definition of fear. This is what he says. Fear is our response to uncertainty about our resources in the face of danger. When we are assaulted by a force that overwhelms us and compels us to face that we are helpless and out of control. Fear is provoked when the threat of danger, physical or relational, exposes our inability to preserve what we most deeply cherish. Fear is a natural response when what we deeply cherish is threatened. And when we realize that we might not be able to preserve that which we cherish. David says an army is against him. Evildoers assail him. War is waged against him. David's very life is threatened. He's not sure if he will be able to withstand all that comes against him. So he confesses his fear. For many of us, this pandemic that we are in is heightening our fear. The ways that 
we thought we could manage or control our lives, the resources that we thought were at our personal fingertips or at our nation's fingertips have proven to be insufficient to deal with the coronavirus. Our physical well-being is threatened. Relationships with others threatened. Our finances threatened. We're all afraid. Fear strikes our hearts when we think we might lose that which is valuable to us. When the doctors come into the room to tell you your diagnosis that you've been waiting to hear, fear is real. When you have a passing thought that maybe one of your children dies before you, fear is real. When your workplace is making cuts and you go to meet with your boss about your job, fear is real. Fear is a real part of our lives, not just when things from the outside threaten that which we cherish and value, but fear is real when those closest to us threatens that which we cherish and value. Look at verse 10. David writes, for my father and my mother have forsaken me. David fears being rejected by the people whom he loves most. The parent-to-child relationship, it is one of such incredible power because it can be a relationship of great love or a relationship of great hurt. The reason being is that the parent and child both know the heart of the other in an intimate way. There is automatic vulnerability between a parent and a child. And so there can either be acceptance in the relationship causing great love or rejection in the relationship causing great pain. Loving someone is scary because you cannot control how that person will respond to you when you risk your heart with them. This is why fear is real when you're dating someone. You're risking your heart and you don't know how they will respond as you do so. That's why fear is real even in marriage because you can daily make decisions to share your heart in marriage and you're not sure whether in that moment you'll be heard and loved or unheard and feel rejected. That's why fear is real in seeking to be a genuine, authentic church community. We're prayerfully seeking to, to do so with people from differing backgrounds and cultures, and there is a history both in our country and in personal experience where hurt has been inflicted. So there is a rightful fear in trusting others. And if we're deeply honest, we can even fear that God will reject or abandon us. David says in verse 9, Turn not your servant away in anger. Forsake me not, O God. We can ask the question in our honesty, God, will you abandon me? Fear does exist. To deny it is a denial of our humanity. Tom Rutledge writes this, that fear takes many forms. Dread, worry, panic, anxiety, self-consciousness, superstition, and negativity. And manifests itself in many ways. Avoidance, procrastination, judgment, control, agitation, and perfectionism, just to name a few. Fear is our constant companion. And that's a personal affront to me. Because the one thing I've learned about myself over the past number of years is that fear has been and often is my constant companion. I've not always owned it as fear until the last number of years. But all I have to do is look at fear in all its forms, the actions revealing my fear, the smoke revealing the fire. 
Right? Why would my heart race like crazy in the classroom dreading to be called on growing up? Why, when I first became a Christian, would my heart race dreading someone asking me to pray in front of the group? Because I was afraid of failing. So I've always thought to be loved, I needed to perform well. Why did I not ask a girl out in college until my senior year? Because I was afraid of being rejected if the person really got to know me. See, the thing I love about Tom Rutledge's quote is that fear shows itself in action. Avoidance, procrastination, judgment, control, agitation, perfectionism. But if you're afraid of the dark, you're going to act upon it and you'll sleep with your light on. If you're afraid of intimacy, you're going to keep people at bay. If you're afraid of death, you're going to try as hard as you can to stay healthy. If you're afraid of failure, you're going to work long, hard hours and seek to be perfect. Jerry Rice is one of the most decorated NFL players ever. Holds most every NFL receiving record. When he was being inducted into the Hall of Fame, in his speech he said this. He said, my single regret about my career is that I never took the time to enjoy it. I was always working. I was afraid to fail. The fear of failure is the engine that has driven me my entire life. The reason they never caught me from behind is because I ran scared. People are always surprised how insecure I was. The doubts, the struggles, it's who I am. Now that, that is honest. And the good thing for us is that the Bible is just as raw and just as honest. The Bible encourages us to be honest about our own fears and to name our fears, that fear is real for every single one of us. Let's look secondly, fear is a gift. God invites us to be honest about our fear because being honest about our fear with ourselves and with God, it leads to the gift of wisdom. Why do you think David fled to the mountains of En Gedi? Because Saul was trying to kill him. That's a smart and wise move by David. You see, fear can awaken us to real danger, and then we can be wise in how to navigate it. Think about it. You're alone at home. Someone comes and knocks on your door late at night, midnight. They will not tell you who they are. You are understandably afraid, so you wisely do not open your door. A family member or a spouse, maybe a friend, is hurting you over and over. Physically, possibly, and let me just say, if that's the case and it's happening now, please share that with someone. Or if it's relationally, emotionally, in which they are hurting you, you are understandably afraid of being hurt. And fear can lead you to wisely draw boundaries in that relationship. Fear leads to wisdom. But more than just the gift of wisdom, fear is a gift because in our honesty about our fear, God invites us to be near him. We are given the gift of God's nearness. David says in verse 1, God is my light, my salvation, my stronghold. Verse 5, in the day of trouble, God will conceal me. He will hide me. He will lift me high upon a rock. Listen, if God is for you, who can be against you? 
When we can be honest about our fears, it opens us to the invitation that God is extending to experience him as our personal God. If we live in our fear, we become obsessive about trying to figure things out on our own. We find ourselves in the dark and we tend to think that we can be the light unto our own path, that we can manage our lives. If we are afraid about our circumstances, we're going to try to control everything and think about how we might save ourselves. If we are afraid that we might be incapable, weak in some way, we're going to try to man up or woman up and fight, or we might run away from the circumstance so that we can become our own stronghold. But in our confession of fear, God invites us to experience Him as my light, my salvation, my stronghold. Kathleen Parker is an author, columnist for the Washington Post. She won the Pulitzer Prize, and she tells the story of how her life changed in the 11th grade. She was educated in Central Florida up until then. Her family moved to Columbia, South Carolina, and there in Columbia, South Carolina, in the 11th grade, she had an English teacher named James Gass. And during one class, he asked Kathleen to diagram a sentence. Some of you get afraid just thinking about diagramming sentences, but he asked her to diagram a sentence. And in her years of education in Florida, she had never learned how to diagram a sentence. So James, the teacher, turns his back on class. He readies the chalk to write out her response, and Kathleen's heart's racing. She's paralyzed. She doesn't know how to respond, and he's waiting, and then she attempts with some utterance of an answer, and the whole class burst out into laughter. And then something happened in that moment that changed her life. It changed her vocation. Her teacher spun around, pointed at the class, and shouted, don't you ever laugh at her again. She can outright every single one of you every single day of the week. Kathleen said it changed her life because in her fear she had an advocate, a defender. And from then on she hung on every word he said, every book he suggested she read, and every chance she had she wrote. And she's now a Pulitzer Prize winner. God invites us to be honest about our fears so that we can experience the gift of his presence, so that we can experience the nearness of God as our defender. He is our salvation. He is our stronghold. God has promised to never leave nor forsake us, that he never slumbers nor sleeps. He's always watching over us. He will always be our Lord. If we can be honest about our fear with God, we will receive the gift of God's nearness and he will change our lives forever. This leads me to my last point, facing our fear. Augustine of Hippo, early church father, African bishop, wrote that fear is the response of the human heart when it's one thing is threatened. Here's what Augustine is getting at. That the anxiety in our lives, the control, the judgment, the perfectionism are actions taken when the one thing, your greatest desire, your greatest love, the thing which you cherish most is threatened. And so to face our fears, we have to be able to identify and name what that one thing is. Is it success? 
Is it comfort? Is it security, approval, power, romance, family, money? And then we confess this one thing to God. And in our confession, God comes near and he inflames our hearts with the fire of his presence and he makes our greatest desire be for him. The one thing that now has our hearts and our affections is not our circumstances, not if people will approve of me or reject me, not if I will succeed or if I will fail, but verse 4, one thing, one thing I have asked of the Lord, one thing I will seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Listen, when God comes near to us in the midst of our fear, and we experience him, we then long to dwell with God. And we're planted and secured and settled because he's with us. We're not full of worry and anxiety, not hurrying about trying to perform or control, but we become enamored with God, beholding his beauty. We're not racing in our minds and our hearts, but we want to inquire to look into and understand more fully the presence of God with us. Verse five or verse eight, David says, your face, Lord, do I seek. The one thing that I desire is to seek your face, to experience your presence, O God. Second Corinthians 4, 6, Paul writes that God has made his light shine in our hearts, giving us the knowledge of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the presence of God manifested. And the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus so that we might dwell with God, that we might behold his beauty, that we might long to understand and experience more of God revealed to us. Jesus is our light, our salvation, and our stronghold. As we experience Jesus, we are then set free from our fear because he becomes the one thing we cherish most. Let me end by saying that I know we live in a scary world. Circumstances are scary, relationships are scary, things on the outside and things that are very close to us. We're currently in a scary time with this pandemic. We do not know what the future holds. We do not know when this pandemic will pass. All we can do is wait. Waiting is extremely hard for me because fear is my constant companion and I'm tempted to seek control and manage my life in my own strength. But David writes in verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The Hebrew word for wait in verse 14 has the emphasis of sitting on the edge of your seat. It's this hopeful expectation. We are waiting for the one who's going to come and deliver us. A few years ago, I read the book Unbroken. True story of Louis Zamperini, now a movie. Louis was an Olympic athlete sent to fight in World War II. His plane crashed in the Pacific Ocean, and he and two others spent 47 days in the ocean on a raft, being attacked by sharks, dehydrated, malnourished, and Louis said it was his hope of being rescued, his hope that an army, uh, his army would come and find him and 
allow him to survive that got him through. Uh, The author of the book, Lauren Hillenbrand, writes about the three men. Listen to what she writes. She says, though all three men faced the same hardship, their differing perceptions of it appeared to be shaping their fates. Louis and Phil's hope displaced their fear. Max's resignation seemed to paralyze him. Louis would spend 47 days on a raft waiting, hoping, longing for someone to come back and rescue him. His hopeful waiting and expectation is what allowed him to live through his fear. As Christians who live in a scary world, all of us full of fear, let us all wait for the Lord. Let us sit on the edge of our seats and wait for the Lord and trust the promises of God. Look at verse 13. The promise that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. For he gave us his only son, Jesus. Will he not graciously give us all that we need now? His presence with us leads us to be strong and courageous. And one day, someday, we will see Jesus coming. And he will take us into the promised land where we will dwell with him and we will behold his beauty And we will inquire in his temple and we will be with him face to face. And until then, we bring our fears, which are real. We're honest about our fears and they can be a gift to awaken us to our need for one thing. Jesus Christ with us. Our light, our salvation, our stronghold. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would... Lead us, lead us and give us your grace to accept the invitation. Lord, the invitation is being extended this morning to come to you, to to be near you, to be honest about our fear, to confess all the ways that we do live in fear so that we might have a greater affection, which is you, Christ, you with us. I pray that the one thing we would seek is to be with you, to behold you, to understand and experience you more. Help us to wait, hopeful expectation to that day, Christ, you return, and we will see the goodness of the Lord fully manifested in the land of the living. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.